Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. My name is Matthew. I'm the pastor here on the east side, and it's, um, it is good to be with you this morning. Thank you so much for joining. Um, thank you so much to the band for leading us, as always, into the presence of Jesus. It's a gift to get to do this every week. Um, I'm going to read from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 20, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump into our text for the day. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you promise your presence. And God, as we seek as a people to continue to be faithful to what it means to be your children, God, your citizens on this earth, we ask, Lord, that you would please today, through this teaching, this very clear, practical, on-the-ground teaching from Jesus, would you, Lord, would you help us to open ourselves up enough to, to receive it so that we can be moving towards one another as reconcilers, as peacemakers. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so we are in a series that we're calling Citizens. Every week we're looking at how do we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as disciples, how do we live out our citizenship in God's kingdom in this world at this time? And so much of the teaching up to this point has been very internal, I think. Uh, not exclusively, but Jenny talked about the renovation of the heart a number of weeks ago. We talked last week about this idea of self-denial and self-forgetfulness. And, and a lot of times these are internal realities that then have external or relational uh, implications to them. Today, though, the teaching is very much on the ground. It's in the trenches relationally. It doesn't mean it's not also deeply internal, because of course it is, as is true of all of Jesus' teaching. But today, we're going to get essentially a class, a master class from Jesus on how to engage in reconciliation work with one another. And that's pretty cool because Jesus knows about community. He's been living in a perfect community forever. That's what the Trinity is. So Jesus has actually been exploring or living in this idea of healthy, robust, beautiful community forever. And now he's going to teach us what it means for us to be image bearers of God, which is to be people who relate to one another in the way that God relates to us. I think this is a word that our church needs, that our world needs right now. What if the citizens of God's kingdom were not adding to the, the chorus of divisive voices? What if instead of that, what if we were being people who, to use Isaiah's language, were actively beating swords into plowshares and spears into pruning 
hooks? What if we were moving towards one another as rebuilders of walls and repairers of the breach? What if that's what we were known for in this season? And so today we're going to get super practical. I love how, how just matter of fact and like sequential this whole thing is that Jesus gives to us. Um, and we're going to begin with this idea that the person that this most applies to is you. <laughs> and it's about you and the person that you're most angry with right now. And not, you know, because they left the toilet seat up, but a person who's like genuinely hurt you. And maybe that person is sitting next to you right now, or maybe they're on the other side of town or the other side of the country or the other side of the world. And maybe there's no one who comes to mind right now. And part of what your work in this service is just to open yourself up to the spirit and say, is there anyone for whom this teaching is true in my life? God begins with the person that you're angry with now. We all know that if we're going to choose to live relationally and not just sort of skim across the surface of the earth, you know, in sort of shallow, small talk conversations, but actually like, you know, actually go deep with people. What it's going to mean for us, what it's going to mean for you and me is that we're going to hurt people and we're going to be hurt by people. And Jesus gives us a formula, a way today to live uh, on the other side of that in peace with one another. Before we begin, though, I wanna, we're going to look at three headings today. First, the spirit of this teaching, and then we're going to look at what is the process, and then finally, um, what is the power for this teaching. But the spirit of this teaching is really important for us to begin there, because if you are listening to this, maybe for the first time, maybe you're not familiar with Matthew 18, 15 to 20. It's not like in part like your daily reading. Um, this is a really severe sounding text. And, the, and, and by the way, it is a text that has been used in the church to do really severe things. It sounds like it's a way of getting rid of sinners in your church. It's a way of getting rid of people that you don't want around anymore. And, and that's exactly how it has been used at times. And so perhaps, depending on your background, you might have even just been triggered as soon as I started reading this. And I would just say, welcome to the club. We, we understand. But I, I think it's so important for us to step back and say, what is, what is this text surrounded by? Because it actually gives us a sense of what the spirit of this text is. And it's not punitive. So right before this story, there is, uh, there is a story that Jesus tells about a shepherd who loses one of his hundred sheep. And he goes out and he finds that one sheep. He leaves the 99 behind and recklessly goes after this one sheep. And when he finds that sheep, it tells us he picks that sheep up and he gives it the spanking of its life. He, he mutters threats into the ears of that poor lamb the whole way back to the flock. Of course, that's actually not what it says at all. It says that he picks the sheep up and he rejoices over that found sheep more than over the 99 that never strayed. So Jesus is saying from the beginning, before we get into a text about reconciliation, you need to understand this about the heart of your God. He is more joyful over finding someone who has walked away than, than over people who don't walk away. He is, he is always, always a, a God who celebrates restoration and reconciliation. And then right after this teaching, there's another story where Peter comes to Jesus super late at night, everyone else is asleep, and he says, okay, so this whole forgiveness thing, how many times do I have to do it? Do I do it seven times? If I do it seven, is that enough? And Jesus says, no, Peter, not seven, 70 times seven, which is not Jesus' way of saying, no, Peter, 490 times. Jesus is not being mathematical in this. He's giving perfect numbers to give the sense of like ongoing, endless, like this never stops. We are always forgiving. God's heart is always to forgive. God will never reach, you'll never reach a point where God's like, ah, you hit your quota. I'm sorry, we'll try again in 2021, but you're maxed out for this year. God's heart is always to forgive again and again. And isn't that great news? I mean, what if Jesus had answered Peter like, no, Peter, just twice, you know, two times and three strikes, they're out. Like that would be a very different kind of God, a very different kind of gospel. 
So God is a God who pursues us for reconciliation, for restoration, and joyfully welcomes us back to the fold and forgives us endlessly. And that is the spirit of this text. It is not punitive. It is restorative. It's about reconciliation. Reconciliation is where I exchange enmity for the sake of friendship. This is not about how to break things off of the body. This is about how to heal a thing that's been broken in the body. So what's the process? Jesus gets super practical. Let's look at it. We're going to run through it pretty quick. The first step of the process, of course, this is a pre-step, is that you and I are hurt. Someone sins against you. The scene is that somebody has hurt you. And, and I think it's very important to know that this is like a personal thing that's happened. This is not like I saw this thing that you posted and I'm angry about it. Or I'm bothered by your lifestyle choices and I want to vent those things to you. This, this is not what this is about. This is about personal wounding. And this is not about like every little minor snub. Like I texted you and it took two days to text me back. And what's the deal? I thought we were friends. That, that's not, this is like somebody has taken something from you. They've betrayed you. They've lied to you in some significant way. This is like, I've been wronged by you in a, in a severe way. And that could take all sorts of shapes. So something, uh, someone sins against you. And now Jesus begins the process. But I just want to, I'm, I'm going to sort of parenthetically like insert something. Because Jesus doesn't say this, but he says it everywhere else in the gospel. Before you go to the person and begin to process this with them, you have to forgive them. We have to forgive the person first. And here's why. If we don't, we're going to go looking for a pound of flesh. We're going to want a confession. We're going to want some sort of retribution. We're going to want to see the person suffer. We're going to want to watch them squirm under the weight of what they've done. And I'll just tell you, um, as a person who's lived long enough to have been hurt many times by close friends, the things that I probably most regret saying in my life have been said because I went to a person before I processed it and forgiven them. I wanted them to hurt. I wanted them to hurt the way that I hurt. And that was such a great opportunity to do that. You show up with knives out. You got to forgive them. Now, how do you do that, you say? That sounds great, but how do you do it? Well, uh, forgiveness, as Tim Keller says, forgiveness is granted before it is felt. If you and I are waiting to feel like forgiving a person, we're never going to get there. We have, to, we have to decide. We have to give it first. And then we work ourselves into it. And I really do love, Tim Keller just has four things. He says, this is what forgiveness entails. One, I'm not going to beat this person up to their face. I'm not going to come looking to punish you in some way. I'm not going to beat this person up to other people. I'm not going to beat this person up in my heart, which is maybe the hardest. And then fourthly, I'm going to choose to begin to pray for the person. And that's going to feel so hard. And not pray that like, you know, like a piano falls on them, but like pray for them, like for their flourishing and their well-being and for their family. And as we begin to do this, what happens is our heart begins to turn in their direction. You don't have to have all that done before you start processing, but we do have to have decided that we're going to move towards them in forgiveness. Because if we don't, what's going to happen is we're basically just taking our anger and we're vetting it on or venting it on a person. And I just want to say forgiveness is very hard. You all probably know this. Anyone who's tried to do this knows how hard forgiveness is. It hurts. It costs us so much. Because when I forgive a person, what I'm doing is I'm literally saying, I'll bear the cost. I'm not going to make you pay for it. I'm going to choose to bear it in myself. And that is a deeply painful thing. But what is the other option? The other option is that we just let it live in us and make us hard people. Frederick Buechner, the Christian writer, has this really beautiful way of describing this. He says, of the seven deadly sins, 
Anger is the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor the last toothsome morsel of the pain you're giving back to them. In many ways, it's a feast fit for a king. But here's the turn. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down at this feast is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. What Beekner is saying so beautifully, evocatively, is that when we actually choose to hold on to that anger because we think it gives us power, what we actually are doing is disempowering and hurting ourselves. We're actually crushing our own selves. So we choose to forgive, and now we pick up the process. We go to them and we point out the fault. Jesus' word here is not that we go and condemn them, but the word literally means we persuade them. Persuade them what? Persuade them how wrong they were? No, because the, remember, the spirit of this is restoration. And the point of this, he's like, if, they, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Uh, other translations say you have won your brother. The whole point is not to win and they lose. The point is for you both to win. And what will be the win? Relationship restoration. That's, so I go and I try to persuade in such a way that we're going to move towards one another in healing. There is a directness to Jesus' instruction here that I think is important. He says, go to the person and do it alone, just the two of you, sometime when you're alone. There's a, there's a, it's really easy to take the pain that someone causes me to someone else. It's very easy to do that, to back channel, to gossip. And for a long time, um, for lots of people throughout history, just because of gender or because of class or because of race, there was no capacity to take something directly to another person. You weren't trusted. You weren't listened to. Your voice didn't have any weight to it. And so in that way, gossip and back-channeling became the only way of processing pain. Jesus wonderfully and radically, revolutionarily, <laughs> gives this relational power to every person and says, every one of you has the capacity to go to another person and say, this hurt, this wronged me. We need to work this out. We need to come to peace. Now, no matter how well you do this, and I hope that you are able to do it well, no matter how hard you do it, you need to be prepared for defensiveness. Everyone gets defensive when they feel accused. Nobody likes the way this feels. I feel stupid when people come to me with stuff. I get embarrassed. I, 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 I feel ashamed. Like, I want to hide. And one of the best ways that I can do that is to push a person back and say, well, you think this is bad. What about that thing you did? We have to prepare for that. But listen, this is... Don't mistake defensiveness to be rebelliousness. We're all going to, most people are going to have an instinctual defensive posture. We have to give space. One of the great things about this text is Jesus just gives so much space in this process because he understands this is a long, drawn out, complicated thing. So let's give lots of room to breathe. If you go to a person and they don't listen to you, say like, let's talk about this again in a week. I don't, I, I get the sense that this is, this is hard right now. And I, I care too much about you to get into a fight with you right now. So we give space for the thing to breathe. But even still, if the person refuses to listen, then Jesus says, take two or three others. This is not Jesus telling you, go rally a posse of people who are going to be in your corner. This is not you and your three best friends showing up and saying, we all heard what you did. You need to, you need to apologize to my friend. This is objective, hopefully outsider, mostly, if anything, maybe older, wiser people who are going to come and ask good questions. Why? Because if you go and take something to someone and they refuse to acknowledge it, maybe, you, maybe they didn't do anything wrong. Maybe bringing some outside counsel in is going to help to clarify what actually happened. 
You actually want, again, we're working towards not winning the argument, but winning the person. So I bring some people with me who are going to help to speak into this. And the number two and three just is an Old Testament number. You couldn't be convicted of anything in the Old Testament without the corroborating witness of two to three witnesses. So this was, this was just Jesus just taking an Old Testament thing and saying, let's work this into the, the culture and the climate of the way we do relationship too. That we're not just like, we're not banging stuff out, just us. And we're not gossiping to everyone. We're actually trying to work together to create harmony in the church. And then finally, he says, fourthly, if that doesn't work, tell the church. Now, he clearly does not have in his mind right now an institution. That's not what he's thinking. There is no institutional church. He's talking about the community of this person. He's not saying you stand up on a platform in front of a thousand people and say, there's a guy, you don't know him, but if you did, you wouldn't, you wouldn't like him very much. And we've talked to him and now we, he's not welcome here anymore. So if you see him at the Whole Foods, make sure to turn your cart around. We, we, don't, we don't associate with John anymore. That's not what this is about. That's not the point of this. He says, go to the community of this person and invite them into a process in which they can fight for the heart of this person who's, who, who, won't, who won't listen, won't listen to anything, um, who's being resistant. Again, what is the point of this? It's not to make the person feel ganged up on. Might they feel ganged up on? Absolutely. Is this a very difficult thing? Yes. Is this the best shot we have? Yes. This is the best shot we have at actually addressing what happens and moving towards reconciliation. And Jesus finally says, if they won't listen to even the community, then let that one be to you as a tax collector and a sinner. And that feels like, oh man, what a rejection. Until you remember how Jesus treated tax collectors and sinners. He went to their houses. He ate dinner with them. He went to their kids' birthday parties. He was unafraid to associate with them. It's a very different kind of thing than ostracizing a person, shunning a person. He's just acknowledging that the relationship has shifted. They're not actually interested in being a part of like this family thing anymore because family owe each other some sort of, like we're in this together. And at this point, it's like, no, the relationship's going to shift. And that means I might like entrust myself differently but I still love you. I'm still for you. I still celebrate you. I still care about you. I still send you Christmas cards. I still buy you birthday presents. I'm still for you. It's just the relationship has changed. Treating someone like a tax collector and sinner just means that you love a person without restraint. Now, I just want to say, just parenthetically, before closing, this is, this is not a teaching about how to stay in a toxic relationship. There are, there are times where actually a relationship is not, going, is not going to heal and actually distance and space is required and needed. And that's another, I don't have time, we don't have time to go into that whole thing. I just want to say like th- this sort of thing is used sometimes by people in power to convince vulnerable, weak, at-risk people that what God wants for them is to stay in an abusive situation. And in Jesus' name, no. That's not actually what this is about. This is about two healthy people choosing to try to build a bridge towards one another. That's what Jesus' heart is here. Now, finally, what is the power for this in closing? Jesus says the power is that he will be with them. Why is, why is that promised right here? I mean, of all the places in the Bible, Jesus never makes that promise anywhere else except sort of generally at the end. He's like, and I'm going to be with you guys always. But besides that, like, why here? 
I think going back um, to what we said at the beginning, it's because the stakes of this are really high and how we exhibit community, how we relate to one another actually communicates to the whole world what this kingdom is like that we're trying to live in and invite people into. Um, the community of Jesus is called to this also, um, to this sort of way of living because it wants to model and show that the church takes sin seriously probably a number of you listening, I, I, I feel drawn to this. Like, want to just be like, why is this such a big deal? This feels so formal. Can't we just like be the bigger person and just move past it? Can't you just like take it in and just like forget it and like just be friends? And of course, the thing is, is like, yeah, you can totally do that. But if you've ever like really been hurt, you know that you can't actually do that and have the relationship remain healthy. Like it'll just eventually wither and die. It'll become some sort of mechanical thing. Probably some of you right now are in mechanical-like relationships because the deep healing that was needed has never been dealt with. Sin, according to the Bible, is like a disease, and it infects the body. And the way that the church is meant to address it is to take it seriously as a disease, to look at it directly, to do something about it. And so Jesus gives particular power of his particular presence and says, when you're doing this deep, hard work with one another, I am with you. And then finally, I think Jesus offers his presence there because nobody understands more than Jesus what it means to literally bear in his body the cost of forgiving another person. And when you and I choose to do this incredibly hard work, of forgiving, of releasing a person, of letting them go, of not holding their sins against them, of choosing to be a person who pushes grace and peace and mercy towards them. As you and I choose to do that, it's going to hurt. And nobody understands that hurt more than the one who was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And Jesus says, when you're choosing to do this deep, hard work with your, with your parents, with a, with a friend who stabbed you in the back, with a, with a coworker who's gossiped about you and, and, and ruined prospects for you because of that. When you and I choose to do this deep work, Jesus says, I will be there with you as the wounded Savior, showing you that this is the way. This is the way home. This is how we do it. This is what citizens of my kingdom do. So why don't we pray together right now before we confess our sins. Jesus, we We thank you so much for like a really practical teaching, but we also just acknowledge I, I don't know what you spirit are laying on individual people right now, but this is this has a really high calling attached to it. So Lord, would you please, Jesus, would you please give us the clarity to know what to do? Give us a person. Help us to know what the next step is. Lord, even as we as we look at our discipleship practice this week, help us this week to have the courage to take a step towards healing. Come Holy Spirit. Let's confess our sins with one another as a way of just inviting God into this space, into our hearts. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have, not loved our, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. 
that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. May the Almighty God have mercy on you. Through Jesus Christ, may he strengthen you in goodness. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, may he keep you in eternal life. Jesus' desire for you is the same thing as his desire for the whole church. As Beth read to us a moment ago, insomuch as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. That's because God's desire is to live at peace with all men. His desire is not to be at war with us, but to come and to give us peace. And so receive it now as a word from God. May the peace of the Lord be with you. Why don't you find someone maybe in the room with you or on your phone to send them a word of peace and we'll continue with our communion service in a moment. Isaiah 53 says, Like a sheep that is led to the shears, he opened not his mouth. He was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The penalty that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So we come to this meal and we remember that this is what it takes to be healed. Jesus on the night when he was handed to suffering and death took bread and when he'd given thanks for it he broke it and he said this is my body just given for you do this in the remembrance of me and after supper he took the cup of wine and he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood to shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins drink this all of you in remembrance of me and so when we take this bread and we dip it in this cup we declare the mystery of our faith Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to this meal and we ask, Lord, you would make it to be for us true communion with Jesus Christ, that this bread and wine would be for us the body and blood of Jesus. And as we eat and drink, we would feel the life and the love of God enter our bodies and our hearts and give us courage to move towards one another as peacemakers. Lord, let us be a people who beat swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. May we be a people who cultivate life and newness out of brokenness. God, our world is so divided. Help us, God. Help us. Jesus, We welcome you to this meal. We come to you in faith and we thank you that you make yourself available to us. In Christ's name, amen. Before we come to the table, I hope you'll get in your car and head over. We would love to see you. I'd love to see you um, serve you in a couple minutes. But let's pray the Lord's Prayer together before we do. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.